what is your policy when you're uh, when you're there in the morning, the evening, whatever it may be? You're brushing your teeth, you know, get, getting becoming a clean boy in the mouth zone, and someone starts talking at you, and and they want to have a conversation. What do you what do you do? Like what I'm like what, like where am I? Well, 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 let me let me let me paint this situation now. Okay. Now I I don't want to name names or or anything, but it is a very common occurrence. Let's just say hypothetically. That I'm standing at my sink, you know, and I got I got the McMansion, so I got my own sink and our yeah, our gigantic bathroom, all that stuff, right? Uh, and uh, and I'm brushing my teeth, and all of a sudden, someone's asking me questions about what I'm going to be doing with my day. You know, what about this? Mm-hmm. What about this issue? That just might happen. And I'm there, I am brushing my teeth, and like you know, I can't really talk because I got a toothbrush in my mouth. I'm moving around right. now. So I, you know, I usually follow the policy I have is uh, I would say about. Five to ten percent of the time, I'll try to answer while I'm brushing my teeth, right? Mm-hmm. And and I think in my mind, it's it's sort of like, you know, in my passive aggressive mindset, a lot of what I try to do is, in in as I approach life is demonstrate why what's happening is a poor idea, right? And you know, now that I think of it, that never works, <laughs> right? The the worst instance of that is like when I feel like I'm overloaded with something and people are interrupting me and wanting me to do something. And I demonstrate by doing the thing that it's a terrible time to be doing it. And, and I think instead what people think is like, oh, he's doing the thing. So, you know, sometimes I try to answer. And I think I even sort of like grade eight towards like being unintelligible to demonstrate it. But right. usually I just don't reply. So that's okay. that's my policy. Now, I would imagine another policy could be, which I, I'm remembering that people do in movies and TV, and this is maybe like, you know, you ever see that site where they they uh, they catalog the tropes and the cliches that you see in movies? It's a delightful site to go look at. You know, you can go look up, you know, bobbing and stuff like that. Anyways, you see this in TV a lot where there's some scene where, uh, you know, the person, they're having a conversation in the bathroom and the person's like pulling the toothbrush out of his mouth to talk every now and then or his or him or her. So anyways, what's your policy? Right. What do you do in that situation? It's my policy. Hmm. Okay, a couple thoughts here. One is I did put uh, another. I'm another McMansion owner, so this is you know uh, kind of just a nice luxury. Like I put an Amazon Echo mm. in our uh, like you know what is it? I think it's called ensuite, right? If it's more than just like the shower and the I don't know. Anyway, in the in the master bed uh, bathroom. So one like that's sort of like the Echo is kind of like the headphones thing in an open work environment. Like you just turn it on. Like you like play. You know you can do like uh, read me the news, like mm. or tell me the news, Alexa, or. Just, play music and that's sort of a sign to everyone that like you're you're not available both and that works for at least for six-year-olds and uh adults like that's at least in my household it does it's like yeah like i'm like getting ready there's brush and and if something is like a a question is asked it it, i think people generally understand it needs to be framed as a yes or no Uh like uh like can i have another waffle is a common question in my household and i'm just like yeah (laughs) Like, I mean, the answer is always yes to that stuff. Like, can I eat more food? I'm six years old. I want to eat more food before school. Like, yes. Oh, um, I've tried to like always like, you know, you just think you could like answer that question blanket one time, but you can't. It's always like, well, can I have a waffle and can I have a cereal? Yes. And yes. You know, it's just like, just eat as much as you want. You're growing and I want you to be full at school. So eat. Yeah. Um, and then. I'd say my wife's very good about that too. She tends to leave me alone, or, or again, she's just a, a lot of yes and no. Um, but other than that, like if for some reason you know if someone's yelling at you from far away or whatever, I just I just ignore it. I just you know uh, I just finish brushing the teeth. They're the yelling at and, you from far away. Yeah, that's, you just like give worst. up. You're just like, well, I'm just never going to answer this question, and you know they'll work it out at some point. But yeah. much like an email at work where you're just like, well, or like the last minute Slack that's like five paragraphs, you're like just not going to respond and it usually takes care of itself so i mean it's just you're just like too much can't help you uh yeah okay okay that's some good guidance i mean i mean it is uh uh you know it 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 does it does raise i mean this is a whole other cold open conversation that we could have but uh you know you you just can't document the enterprise governance in a household just as much as you might try there's no uh well i don't know maybe there is because i feel like there's a very regularized way that i put dishes in the dishwasher so there's, I don't know, there's some dynamics I haven't explored, how you enforce a policy. <laughs> got to figure that out. All right. Well, this week, so we had a couple of things going on this week. Uh, one, since since we're going to be talking about two papers or, you know, one and a half, one of them's extra bonus material, you know, like in college where they're like, you, you read these papers this week and we'll discuss them in our circle of desks with a bunch of 20-year-olds 
always delightful. And there's always that one person who's gone back to college. And as a 20 year old, you're like, they just are bozos, whatever they're saying. They, one, they're way too happy to be here. So there's always that. And then two, like, I don't know what they're talking about. But anyways, and then there's always like, there frequently is a bonus optional reading uh, that, that you can do. So we have some optional reading. But uh, since it's about the container landscape or, or, or whatever that is, we'll get into that. I, I thought we would make this our, our, epi- our free episode because I think, I think we did promise maybe around episode six we would do it. So here we are at the Software Defined Talk, members only, except this time, White Paper Exegesis, episode six. So what we got, Forrester put out a paper uh, very recently. June 23rd, 2017 was the published date, and it's called Navigate the Kubernetes Ecosystem. Now... Hopefully that was a pun that they intended to put in there because with a word like Kubernetes, you got to just strip mine all the value out of that obnoxious world as possible word as possible. <laughs> I mean, that is like one of the more obnoxious words I think we've had in a decade in the tech world. Uh, and then there's also the, the optional reading. I forget what the Gartner one is, but there's, there's a Gartner paper that is uh, about the contain. It's similar paper, but it's about the container. Ecosystem yes. It is Gartner the uh, market guide for container management software published on uh, the 10th of August, 2017. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I want to, I want to, I want to summarize my, my take on this stuff. And then, and then Brandon, you can help MC or take us through a more structured approach. I think, uh, and I think, I think, so there's a couple of things interesting about these papers. One, um, well, so they're industry analyst papers, right? So for, for people who are always interested in what analyst people do, I think this is pretty representative of, of what you would see from, from an analyst. It's not, it's not a wave or a magic quadrant as we've talked about or, or a hype cycle. So it's not a necessarily a, a pre-formatted um, templated thing. And it's a little more free flowing though. I think, I think I'll, as we get to the market guide, that actually is kind of a templated thing that they have, but Forrester is not so great for better or worse at following, uh, standardized formats very widely. So two, it's also interesting to look at this to see, we don't talk about Forrester stuff a lot. And, uh, you know, if you were to look at their revenue, they're not as popular uh, or as widespread as Gartner. So it's it's always interesting to dip in to see what for, what what's what they're doing over there at Forrester because it's a different approach. So also, I think on the topic of containers and Kubernetes, like this is, I don't know. Tell me if you think this is true, Brandon, because I think I think you and I started uh, to to be overly funny. We started being woke, as it were, in the tech industry a lot when this started happening. Is there was a point when the analysts were kind of like leading uh, technology thought leadership in, in the world. But this is sort of like the crest of like the analysts just like they have no idea what's going going on until it's like well into it. Right. So like, you know, something like Kubernetes and containers, like analysts kind of followed it at the beginning. But it's not like there were a lot of analysts saying like, guys, you should check this out. And so now I feel like there's kind of like a cleanup effort that they that they're doing to kind of uh, come analyze this stuff. Whereas I feel like in the SOA and the J2E era, uh, and definitely probably e-commerce, things were slowly moving enough that analysts could uh, come in and clean up a little bit. So, uh, I mean, that doesn't even address the the content of what's going on here. But I think I think I think from a uh, 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 person who almost had an English literature degree. Like th- these are great examples if you analyze the mechanics of how analysts work, of of, of what's going on, and, and and how things are operating at the moment. Yeah, I think that's exactly right, and I think not to to maybe give everybody uh, not to paint all analysts with like such a broad brush. Like I think we should say these are sort of buy side analysts, the biggest mm-hmm. ones. You know, I guess that's the way I'm thinking, and so their group of of customers are, you know, large IT departments that they talk to all the times that are interested in learning about how to, to buy stuff. So they are explicitly catered to kind of filling that void. If there's some new keyword or, you know, <laughs> crazy sounding project like Kubernetes um, and they get a bunch of questions on it, and they're like, oh, we should go read up on that, right? So yeah. they're kind of, I think, always on the, the laggard side, whereas um, – Whatever you, want. you call them either sell side or strategy side analysts. I think Red Monk is a great example. You know, you have some history there, of course, right? Where they're kind of on the flip side of like, hey, we're they're trying to like go find all the new things and then kind of go help the vendors be like, hey, you know about That's this, true. you know about this, and then they're so it's just 
you know, I understand why. I mean, there's obviously a need for both, and you, I think, in generally, you want as someone who consumes information from both sources, you kind of wish both of those guys would kind of encroach a little bit on each other's territories. But, uh, but it makes sense. You know, I understand what's going on here for sure. Yeah, no, and 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 so that eases into the content. I think, I think what what this what this Forrester paper and and the optional reading they set out to do is you 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 said it well is like let's say you're. Uh, uh, I think specifically the Forrester one calls out that it goes after enterprise architects or, or as I kind of lampoon in the detail, uh, write up EA pros, right. Where as, as if there's like, you know, amateurs who are doing enterprise <laughs> architecture, but whatever pro pro yes. is another one of these like signaling words that you see in the literature as it were, which, uh, which it's, 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 it's a throwaway sort of, is that an adjective? Whatever it is, but it's fun to think about why people would use that and how they came about it and reverse engineer the long series of tedious meetings where they were like, fuck it, column pros. But anyways, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so this is like if you're an enterprise architect or, you know, as, you know, the other side of the audience, the other major audience other than vendors would be, I could see, again, if you were an M&A or kind of strategy, these would be interesting. But you're basically like, what is this Kubernetes stuff, right? Like, I went and searched the internet and I read a bunch of, like, stuff and there's, like, whales and Red Hat and, and some hepatitis thing and, like, I don't understand what's happening, right? And so these are pretty... Again, these are each of these are about like twenty pages, but really, there's if you take out the tables and and front banner and back banner, it's about fifteen pages, the perfect size, right? You could you could skim over this uh, over over lunch. You know, you go down to the corporate cafeteria, you buy your two dollar big salad, you sort of pack it into a little container, or or you eat your kind of flavorless taco, whatever you might have, and uh, or or maybe you brought some some uh, food from home. You're one of those people. But you could kind of read it over lunch pretty rapidly. You'd have to turn your smartphone on the side to kind of read it well. But you could get an idea of what's going on in Kubernetes. And I think I think there are also some key diagrams in here that you could very easily put in your, your presentations when you go talk to your, your managers or below. And it even kind of slides into the area of saying, here are some vendors we should start shortlisting and talking with. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, well, I, I think, I, I don't know about you, say, but I think it accomplishes mm-hmm. those goals pretty well. I think, yeah, I think. definitely. And I, I think the, you know, I like to sometimes look at parallels to uh, more like consumer media or just mainstream media. Mm. Like, what do they, what do they do? Like, I think if we were talking to like a journalist or like a feature writer, we would say like, hey, we need an explainer piece, right? Yes. Or an explainer. And I think, uh, you know, I think Vox uses that format a lot. And, you know, certainly like, I don't know, everybody, there's like lots of explainers out there. Uh, and, they're generally a little bit like they're not as long, obviously not PDFs, but the the general idea is the same. It's it's sort of like you as an audience person are sort of opting into like, you know, I've heard a lot about this now, but uh, you know, I need to know I really actually want to spend a few minutes like really understanding it. And like you see a lot of ex- you know, with just the news, right? Like a lot of explainers on like uh like this week on like flooding, right? On like uh permeable uh what is it, permeable? coverage or mm. um, you remember what I'm saying and then you see explainers on healthcare and then we see ex- whatever there's an explainer for everything so so that's really the role I think that's what these two papers like because we, we're not going to talk about them today there's kind of the ranking papers which is the Forrester Wave and the Gardner yeah. Magic Quadrant and we'll leave those for another day and then there are the explainers like hey I need to know as much as about this as possible uh, um, in like maybe 15 minutes and that's really the, the goal that these papers are trying to give you yeah, yeah, and and so so since since we are both at a vendor, I mean the other audience is vendors, right? And and I'm curious. So I'll 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 pretend like I'm going to ask a question and instead talk, and then go back to asking the question. You know, that's my my thing. Uh, like as as a vendor, I'm always curious. There's two things I'm curious to look at these papers. Well, well, one obviously, if you're selling to someone, you want to know the mindset of your seller and how they're thinking about things and all that language, right? Unless Unless you're just a total bag of dicks and you're like, there is a way of being a vendor where you're like, everything you know, person whose money I want is wrong and you're incorrect. Let me educate you. That um, right. That would be the uh, the old challenger sales model. A challenger right? sales model. That's right. Which, That's which, what we would be uh, yeah. saying. That was rather than our consultative approach, we could adopt the challenger yeah. uh, persona. And and this this I think I think uh, most recently, you know. Uh, uh, there, there, there was a brief moment of time where, like, Pivotal kind of fell into this this way of doing it, 
But it does become valid when there's a very fast-moving, dramatic new paradigm, if you will. <laughs> and and you have been invited in to kind of say that to, you know, people are freaking out. And you also saw versions of this um, back in the cloud or die days. Like, I remember the last, maybe the last CA world I went to, and his name wasn't Brewster McCracken, but the CEO at the time was named something awesome like that. And I think he literally had a slide that was like cloud or die. And like that, that was the height of it. You're, you're telling people they need to uh, move off of that. And then of course, you know, this is maybe in 2010 or so we, every, every year since then next year, 60% of workloads are going to be in public cloud. That's that figure is kind of like the uh, VDI and the desktop Linux. But anyways, so it's good to kind of look at that and, and kind of now I think, you know, I bet you could do a little bit of challenger sale. Well, no, I don't think you could in, in this, what is this, uh, September 1st of, uh, of 2017, I don't think you could do a challenger sale on containers anymore. Maybe a couple of years ago you could, but basically now, I don't know, is it a servant sale? <laughs> but you're being, you're being brought in to talk about how you can do this thing. And so there's that, right? And I think, I think also, um, as a part of that, it's also challenging to figure out how to explain the thing that you have as, as a vendor. And, uh, you know, like, like uh, in, in the line of work that I'm in and, and, and yourself, right? Like you're sort of like, what is a platform as a service? Like what is all this stuff? And, and there's, there's two interesting models here to kind of explain it. And then, and then finally, uh, there's a little bit of like competitive stuff you can do here, right? Like they kind of list off people and, and how they position themselves. But uh, as, as, as sitting in, in, in vendor shoes, or I guess you're standing, I don't know. Like what do you, how do you consume this content? What do you do with it? Yeah, so as I'm standing in my black loafers and I'm consuming this this content on my with my vendor hat on. The number one thing that you're looking for on the vendor side is this paper really is the culmination of probably a pretty concerted effort of you as well as all the other vendors to influence the category, mm. right? Because what's going to happen here is in both the Gardner and the Forrester paper, you know, they have the respective, I think, as you like to refer to them, the burger diagrams, right? What you need to do as a vendor is like, one, you have to come up with your own point of view, right? And that's going to be, you know, what I was explaining to someone in my office the other day, the architecture, the burger diagram, whatever, right? Like that's the, every company has one, right? So when you brief the analysts, you tell them some stories, you tell them why it's great, Tell them like where the problems came from, and then you show them your point of view, which is usually represented in some architecture diagram. Now, the consultant, or the uh, sorry, not the consultant, but the actual analyst at this point consumes all of these. Like you know, and Cote, you've done this many times in your career. Like whatever, twenty, thirty different brie- uh, briefings in a new category. So on the vendor side, what you're hoping is that you have been a, a compelling case. And you are, you know, find the right, you know, problem customer fit, right? That, that more, that many other companies are finding because you want the way that they represent the analysts in this case uh, to represent the problem to be very close to the way that you're solving the problem or the way that you think of the problem. So, for example, like in both of the Gardner as well as the Forrester paper, right? We see things like management and scheduling, right? Or orchestration, right? So clearly, you know, everyone is briefed the analysts and clearly like within the container management world, there's a clear idea of orchestration and there's a clear set of capabilities around orchestration. And the reason that matters to the vendors is that's going to give them the ability to st- go start competing, right? Because no one wants to have to walk in to an environment and explain the entire thing, right? Mm-hmm. If someone doesn't even know that orchestration is an issue, then you have to first explain to them what it is. Then you have to explain to them why you're better. Very difficult situation. So as a vendor, when you're reading these diagrams, you're like, it's really reflecting back your work along with the industry itself and the customers out there talking to the analysts. And you're hoping, right? And you, you really need to hope and, and make sure that you're, solution is aligned with this now in other cases and this is back to like your our sales model if you're not represented on here at all right like so we'll just pick like an arbitrarily new technology like serverless right completely different thing 
if you're not on here at, at all and it's a hot topic and maybe you're, you believe that customers could use this, your solution to solve those problems, that's when you're going to have to adopt a contrarian sales model. You're going to have to go in and like show this diagram. And the way you do that is usually show a diagram like this and you say, you say whoa, it's way too complicated. I don't even – and you say something like, I don't even understand this diagram. Does anyone understand this diagram? And then you show your new thing. And you say, see, if you do it this new way, you don't have to learn all that other stuff. Mm. So that just – you know, as a vendor, right, this is going to kind of tell you like, am I going to be a consultative salesperson or am I going to be a challenger salesperson? And if I'm a consultative salesperson, I probably have a whole deck walking you through each one of these features and functions and hopefully it, it dies back to a benefit that you need and then I can tell you one or two reasons about why I do it better. So it is. It is a really important document because it's going to dictate how you build your sales messaging and how you go to market. Yeah. No, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's great. I hadn't even uh, – I didn't rem- remember doing that when I was reading it. But I think – I don't know if I've personally talked with all these analysts, but you know, over the years, especially at Pivotal, I've talked with several of these analysts and, and it is uh, – I guess when I'm reading, I am looking for those tracers of like, you know, did 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 uh, did our idea viruses infect them, or you know, like how how does this cross with the evolution of how they've thought about things? And it is, uh, yeah, you know, you're trying to establish that model that aligns with your worldview and what your products actually do, which which right. is um, and then to get like real inside difficult. baseball, right on on the vendor side, right? There's they're like, hey, you know, you, you want it to be a meritocracy. Like everyone puts out the information and, you know, there's sort of like an analyst is just sort of like he's just taking the best ideas and he's putting up a nice paper and he's just this like neutral person. Like that's the way we want it to work. But like, mm. you know, inside the vendor game, right, it's like, oh, well, he really likes so-and-so. This analyst used to work with so-and-so and they really like so-and-so and they talk a lot to so-and-so, right? And that's why – um, this thing that we really don't, that no one else really thinks is a good idea is represented. It has its own box on the, the burger diagram, right? So, you know, I'm not, you know, I, we know it all happens and this is sort of back to like, Hey, analysts are human beings. And it's like, sure. I'm sure they have friends. They have people they like better than others. And they, and so this is always like the pro like the sausage making, right? This yeah. is like, so why does everyone go to these conferences? Like, that's always the question too. Like, why are these analysts going to these conferences? Because every time you go, or I'm sorry, why are all these vendors always spending so much time at these uh, analyst conferences? Like, cause you feel like you gotta be there. You gotta meet with the analyst. You gotta make your case, right? You gotta like keep the relationship fresh. You know, the analyst, is probably like tired of meeting with everyone, but it's like, hey, we, you know, and you're trying to influence it. So, you know, part of it is like a meritocracy, and the war of ideas, the best ideas get out there. But then there's also like just the human nature of like, you know, just trying to like make your case and get them. It's like any sales cycle, get them to like you so that when they're thinking about the problem, they at least think about the ideas that you, you gave them. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and this is a good transition to the actual content, like comparing. So the first thing that happens in a paper like this is, well, that you want to happen is you, you list what ever the technical criteria or capabilities are right like you got to describe the thing and um i think i think the gartner one is more thorough as as it were the forrester ones uh in comparison a little light though both of them are fine and and to a point you're making right like there's a curious one in in the or one that stands out as an example of what you're saying in the gartner one is they have one of the i'll go through the capabilities but they have one called devops workflow and uh yeah, there's got to be like one vendor or something. Or I don't know, maybe it was the original analyst idea that was like, oh, yeah, you should have a DevOps work- workflow for this. Like it is, <laughs> it, it is, I mean, not that it's incorrect, but it kind of stands out as like a weird little knobby thing that's that's been added on there. But so to list, just just for the, since since these are like, you know, very expensive papers, I'm not going to like put them up because I'm a good boy. I, you know, I, I won't pirate them, but so, so basically, you know, you got containers and they're just single containers running on their own, which is fine. And then you got Docker and all this stuff, but like, how are you going to, how are you going to make sure all these things are, are configured and run on their own and like check on their health? Like it's a big complicated system. You got to make sure it sticks together. So Forrester says when you get a container orchestrator, it should do the following task scheduling with high availability support. Now, I always think high availability is another one of these weird, redundant categories. It's like, did anyone ever want low availability support? I don't know. Probably not, right? But I guess you have to point that out because HA is some big enterprise check thing. Like, it's like you got some spreadsheet and they're like, well, it's got to have HA. And you're like, do you also want it to work well? Because you should have a checkbox for that. Anyways, 
Then you got application configuration management. So, you know, the way a container works in theory is you're injecting the configuration and telling it what, what your networking paths are and all this junk. So you got to configure it and tell the applications in there what they should do. Then you got service discovery and configuration management, which is similar, if not, not sort of the same. Then you got container cluster management. You got to have clusters, right? You got these things working together. It's a distributed application you're running in there, which that's another interesting parenthetical thing is neither of these papers spend very much time talking about what's inside the containers, the types of applications there are, which I think is fine for what they're doing, but they're, they're definitely... I'll have to hunt around. There needs to be a companion piece of like, well, what are the applications that you run in here? How do you think of those? Um, which which would be uh, fun to find. Then you got your container networking, always with the fucking networking. It's <laughs> always an issue. Then finally, in Forrester's way, you got container storage management. Again, it's it, the role of storage in like the container world is really interesting because it's it's. Uh, it's it's kind of the opposite of the HA thing I was making fun of. Like, one should assume that storage is there because you'd like to have state, but it turns out storage is not really always there, and it's actually extremely tricky. So it's one of the more valuable things uh, that, that you can do, which maybe that'll make enterprise storage another high-margin business in the future, or maybe not, but it'd be interesting to see. So... Uh, you know, and then, and then as, 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 as you say, I would say there's a big burger diagram, which sort of mysteriously has a lot more categories in it, but that's fine. And it uh, kind of breaks out like what the stack of container management would have and how you manage the images. And I guess there is DevOps automation as something on this, uh, this burger diagram, but it's not really talked about in the paper. Right? Yeah. Well, I do think, you know, it's kind of yesterday we touched on in, in, uh, in your the previous episode of uh, software defined talk, probably like available in your pod catcher. Just go just go down one. You can hear us talk about. But like, how do we know uh, a technology is being successful? And I, I would basically say this is list of things, right? Mm-hmm. Container management in Kubernetes is the indication of like because when you kind of read down it, you can say like, okay, well. Kubernetes is now like lots of people are asking questions. The storage guys are asking questions. So hence, there's now a storage part of this solution. The networking guys are definitely answer, asking questions. So now there's a whole networking category. And then, you know, a whole bunch of people are like, well, wait a minute. Like, how's this going to work? How are we going to manage it? And so like, just by the definition of three of the five categories or six categories have the word management in it, right? You know, kind of tell you like, oh, okay. Lots of groups are trying to figure out how to manage it and can they do the thing that they need to do, whether configure the application, yeah. you know, find new services or manage the, uh, the clusters. And then, of course, high availability, all it really means is just saying like, yeah, you can run this uh, production-worthy application and it won't go down. Like we have some story about like if there is an outage, there's a way around it. So, if we just go back in time and we say, why, like, why is all this happening? It's like, well, because, and the Forrester paper does a good job calling this out. Like, developers really liked the idea of running containers originally on their own systems. It was really simple for them to get a bunch of, uh, you know, cloud native or you know, um, servers up, right? And now that that has been so well established and become so popular, all these other groups are getting involved. And hence, you know, Forrester is now wrapping this whole container thing in the, the the layer of enterprise functionality that it needs, which is going to make it complicated, but it's what makes it successful as well. Yeah, and 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 then and then that you know that's that actually is a good like uh, I I wouldn't have thought of the mechanics of this until you're kind of laying it out, but that segues into the the next part of of what's in the paper is. Um, so you define these, these capabilities, and as you were kind of alluding to, therefore that defines the the parts, right? So the networking people are going to have to care, and the storage people, and 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 I also want to point out specifically, you know, it's it's easy to overlook this, but one of the other things that's novel about this Forrester paper is it's only about Kubernetes, right? Like, which is that's an interesting position to take to be like Kubernetes. We believe so much in Kubernetes, which I still can't pronounce. That like we are we are making the call that there is a dedicated ecosystem of stuff just to that. Now, in contrast, you look at the Gartner paper. The Gartner paper is about container orchestration, not just Kubernetes. Which which, anyways, that kind of highlights the the little point I'm making there. So, back to the narrative of the paper. It's interesting that next you go to this figure three. Maybe I'll excerpt this, but basically this lays out 
the parts uh, of the ecosystem and the logos of the companies and organizations involved in it. And I don't, this is kind of a weird chart because it doesn't map to the capabilities. More of what they're talking about is almost, it, it's, it's hard to describe. I mean, I'll have to put a picture of it, but it's sort of like, we're not, these are not people who are providing the capabilities of things. This is a way of like clustering all the people that are involved. <laughs> so, so that basically they group it by here are the, they call it the commercial solution providers. So like the full stack of, of a container orchestrator. And then they had this idea of extension solutions, which are like little, little wing, wing dings that you could put in there to change how things, to improve how things operate. And then the other part of the community are the enterprise users who are also contributors. Then you got service partners who is very confusing. But then of course, there's like the various open source foundations uh, behind it. And, and this, so first of all, this diagram, I forget the, the VC firm that puts these out, but they consistently, they get some summer intern to have like the logo slide of doom, right? Like you, you, <laughs> you, 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 you should, you need to send this one to me because I always forget how to look it up. But like we've, we've used this before. There's, um, they have a logo slide of doom of like, I don't know, the container space. And it's like laughable because there's like 400 logos on there. Right. And you're like, yes. really? Yes. Like, I, although I have to say a lot of times I like them. I mean, I, I, oh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I feel like they're still for me because I'm always like, it is like a cheat sheet. You're like, what yeah. does that look like? Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. and, 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 and so, so this is a much more condensed, I don't know, just eyeballing it. There's at most 40 logos on here, probably even less. But it is, it is, there's, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in, in this area. There's, you, you know, I, and I think the extension solutions are the most interesting. And, and you, you followed the, the VMware, uh, era a lot more closely than I did, oddly enough. And it feels like what you see here and what's implied by this is like Kubernetes is very much at the moment a sort of like build your own kind of thing, right? Like there is, there is the normal Kubernetes, but there's not that many like stacks, like, Here's the DVD that has your Kubernetes thing. Click on the uh, install.exe and you're done, right? Like it seems like there's more of like a lot of turn, uh, tweak, not tweaking, turning, uh, what's tuning that you have to do when you insert these things into here. And it feels a little bit like how VMware was in maybe the late 2000s where it was like there were all these ancillary vendors that would come in and like tack on additional functionality. And then at some point VMware went and bought a bunch of them and now has like, I don't know, vRealize or something. But uh, it, it, it does turn out to be a it's, – it's, it's, a, it's a weird diagram if you stare at it for a long time like I'm doing because it's, it's laying out the ecosystem, not really the technology choice. And so it makes me wonder like – who is this diagram for? Like, like, what do you do with this? Well, I think, you know, you know, we talked about this yesterday too. It's, and it's kind of a recurring theme. I think something we talk a lot about on this podcast is sort of like, you know, platforms generally grow organically, even though like we think about software and architecture and so much of the times we can kind of think it's tops, uh, tops down, but really so much of this is bottom up. And like VMware absolutely had the same exact thing, right? There's sort of this core capabilities that, you know, containers and VMware kind of shared at the beginning. And then as they grew to be successful, all these other management, security, and other types of functionality had to be built out. And that, you know, and instead of like if you were building a house, you'd just be like, okay, let's sit back, let's think about it, what makes the most sense, and, you know, let's then go do it. But in the world of you know, software and competitive capitalism, right, like everyone builds companies doing like slightly different parts of of it and then over some period of time there's a, a role of consolidation some just die off right and you come you know what comes out of it is a fairly stable platform with sort of some you know some lines right like vmware provides mm. sort of like this core functionality and then there are there's a place now there's a clear place for partners right where you know right now in the world of kubernetes it's just you know it's confusing to us because we're just watching the middle and it's like yeah everything has to like some of these things will win some of them will lose some of them will be bought but it will play out over five years and another example for people our age would be like you know the whole java mm. uh, world yeah, like java yeah, yeah. came out it was a core programming language it was super lightweight it was real easy and then it was like oh we need java enterprise edition and then you need maybe you don't need different runtimes you need you know and so so over time that went through this nice period and now it's pretty stable i mean there's i mean i know 
every time I say that, I feel like I'm I'm not trying to be disparaging of that. I'm like in a good way. It's like it's become yeah. clear what it what it means, and it's very easy for vendors and customers to interact in. And so now, but we are always looking for the next thing, and that's what you're seeing here with Kubernetes, right? Is that you know a lot of this is being fought out. And if we go back to the burger diagram, right, just a couple of pages, like if we wanted to like say like, well, where are the potential weaknesses, and like where will the next wave of evolution come from you know i'll give you everyone a, a quick uh, heuristic on how to figure that out it's like anytime you see vertical bars drawn on the sides of these diagrams uh, <laughs> what that means is no one really understands like how these things relate to the core thing that you're talking about so anytime you see this in an architecture diagram it's sort of like you can either look at it as like uh, opportunity because no one has really figured it out or the potential weak link in the entire thing. So like like looking at this one for Forster, we'd say like they understand that DevOps and the ability to continuously develop software is important with containers, but they just do not understand where exactly it fits in. Like are you like taking containers up and down? Are you doing something on the scheduling? Is this functionality that's going to be inside of orchestration? Is this going to be somewhere else? So, you know, it's a potential area that has to, if that box doesn't become more well-defined and like find an area, it's a potential weakness for the whole thing. And then of course, you know, my own, I've had some experience here. No one ever knows what to do with security, right? They're just like, well, I don't know. We just, I, yeah, we'll just put it on the side. We need to be secure. (laughs) But like, what does that mean? Are you going to, does the container have to be secure? Does like do all the nodes have to be secure do all the cubelets need to be secure like nope you know what i mean like just no one has any idea so you know again this is where the security guys get real cranky they're like why didn't these guys call me they should have brought me in at the beginning and now look at me i'm just on the side and i'm really upset about it and you know what i'm not i'm not going to put this container stuff in because they don't they don't talk to me right so so there's a lot there to unpack right and so i just think all of us as we just think about it remember where we are like you know kubernetes is maybe a toddler and it still has to go through this whole maturity process and it will and it will provide some benefits but it will also set the stage for the next thing too so so that that is a lot of points there one that's a good heuristic that when you see that vertical thing it's just like i don't i don't know what the fuck that this is which which uh you know to be an apologist maybe it's not in the scope of this paper or whatever there's all sorts of things no, and I, I should also say like i've listen i've built plenty of diagrams too where i get to the yeah. point where I'm like i gotta know I, the slide's almost done we have a presentation like let's just let's put yeah, on the side yeah. like yeah. we just don't know what to do right 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 so so there, there's a there's a lot you can discount about we wanted to make this like you know 12 pages of content which which again is fine like we could we could have also picked there's a couple of like 60 page pdfs floating around there about this which that, that's a lot of pages to read uh but you know i, I and then it's also worth noting to your point about how early it is that unless i'm wrong in the forester paper there's not a lot of time spent establishing um i don't know penetration if you will like how broadly this is being used they do make reference to one of my favorite and i use that term sarcastically one of my favorite analyst indicators the number of inquiries that you have coming in which is like you know there's all <laughs> right. all sorts of problems and biases with that right one it's only inquiries from people who had like 25 to 50,000 dollars to pay you so that limits things and then anyways on and on and on but um that said when i've interviewed at forrester before uh, they do like keep a database of inquiries. So they kind of have, they have a methodical way of tracking it. So you can look it up, which, which is nice. But so I, you know, as always, I'm looking out, looking out, I'm looking for this stuff. And, uh, you know, from four or five, one, who's a little more free with their survey stuff. I think, I think the latest figure was in a, in a, uh, a survey last year, 2016, they said 26.7, you know, because, God knows you need that precision. You wouldn't want to round up to 20, 27%. But 26.7% of the respondents in a survey that they do that I think is pretty legit said that they're in the initial implementations of containers in production environments. Now, there was 11.3%. Again, love that precision. 11.3% <laughs> said they were using containers in test and development environments. And 214 said it was employed in uh, container and trials, POCs, which is basically like, you know, they went to some uh, EA and they were like, can you use that old cluster to try to get this thing installed, which which is fun. And then and then 40.7% said they were evaluating it. Now, I think this 407 
they're the ones who are cutting and pasting from this PDF and putting it in SharePoint <laughs> slides. But, you know, th those figures are interesting. As long as you always keep in your mind with surveys, the difference between penetration and market share, right? Like all those figures I went in, if if the organizations had one container running, it would have counted as a yes on those questions, right? So, you know, you got you to discount it. But I think, I think it, there is a legitimate... I don't know. I mean, I'm curious, like, to, to whenever I finish talking, what, what your thoughts on this are, if you remember. But, like, I think once a, a technology reaches, like, a 10, somewhere between 10 and 15% of people interested in it, then it is sort of, like, on the path to legitimacy, if not already legitimate. But but the Forrester piece doesn't really go over those figures. And I didn't go look to see if they do surveys. But that is one one thing that I think is missing uh, from this paper is, like, it would be nice to go over survey numbers to show... If only, and and they also don't address this. Like I think I think with a paper like this, one of the things you should also do is um, talk about the pacing. I don't I don't know if you call this a maturity cycle anymore, but how organizations should set their expectations for pacing, right? Like if you're in that forty point seven percent who are cutting and pasting from this PDF and the slides. Are you going to be done with your container thing in a year or five years, right? Like, what are the expectations you should have about pacing it out, um, which would be a, a nice thing for them to do? Uh, yeah, it all so makes sense. All I think – yeah, I was going to say the – I think the way that Forrester tries to do it is they have basically put um, – you know, they have a category in their table of contents, related research deck. Mints mm. where I think they they call out some briefs like um so obviously if you're interested in Docker they've got a paper on that but you know I think probably the brief that goes over why it's like why the CIO must care about containers is my guess is where they have you know probably the numbers in it so if I was you know if we were to make a suggestion to them would be I like the fact that they didn't inundate this paper with a lot of those stats because I think when you get here you're like okay yeah I need to know this like I I don't really need to be convinced of it but I think if they there's plenty of room there's plenty of like fluff to cut out to do one paragraph on like kind of the key statistics like just call out one or two surveys like guys yeah. you know the re and I think even saying like why is this report being written and be like it's just to say something like we've uh, reached the threshold where this is now becoming a a technology of interest to a broad group and here's why because this survey said x thousands of people are doing it or x you know what i mean and it's yeah. just sort of and then and then at the end of that little paragraph you would say like if you want a lot more detail on the full survey results go you know go read this paper and that would be a much more effective advertisement for their stuff um, rather than like jamming the because this i mean you can tell like the related research document they did just jam that in right they're like oh somebody was like throw some links there and then at the end there's like a ridiculous amount of of like of yeah. uh, footnotes and stuff and it's like hey why, why don't you just make it real obvious in in the actual mainline content where to get more um so it's just a missed opportunity for them yeah no but, I, you know I, I was i was gonna say to 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 a point of what you're saying obviously obviously with with how many do they have 38 footnotes in a uh, uh, uh let me see how many it is i i can look yep yep Sorry, sorry. Thirty-five footnotes in a uh, in a twenty-page paper. Those are some people after my my heart right there. But man, I love I love me a footnote. The, and and you know there is there is to be really microscopic. There's a curious. Uh, whenever they handed it over to, uh, let's see if it listed whoever whoever uh, loaded this up in Illustrator. Like I said, it's always fun to inspect. Uh, no, it doesn't say where it came from. Oh, no, it came from InDesign. There you go. So right. they passed it over to someone using Adobe Creative Suite 6 on Windows, no less, and uh, pumped this out from InDesign, it looks like. Uh, but Yeah, I mean, the but, but I, there's, I, there's, there's a funny I, thing there where, like, in the footnotes, sometimes they link the text, and sometimes they just, like, splot out a full URL, which is curious, but then they don't link the URL. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I mean, we could have a whole show on this, like about like, it's kind of like 50, 50. So I don't know if it's just the, in this case, I'm on a Mac or reading this in a preview. It's like some of the URLs you click on. Oh, look, right, you can they click will, on them. But, They're just not but highlighted. Them, but I think it's, oh, yeah, but then, you're right. Some of them don't work. Yeah, some of them they, they you know it's like it's almost like the preview or your uh, rendering program is you know recognizes part of the URL but not the whole one so you get a bunch of these links that are lost so this is just I mean we go on and on about this like if you're gonna take the time to write 35 footnotes you know uh, and not you know take the time to actually like 
make sure that they're linked or, or at least be consistent. Like don't link anything or link at all. Um, you know, it's just, it's just a massive waste of time and effort, right? I mean, it's just, and it is, and I don't know if, you know, we've, (laughs) you and I I think have had our own off topic conversation about how frustrated we are sometimes when we export things from Mm. uh, our various, uh, tools that they, you know, the links get lost for various reasons. Um, so there, there may be a technology limitation, but, but yeah, it's just a total waste of time and effort, right? When you look at all these things, like you can't, you know, most of the time, you're not going to be able to actually even get to the footnotes without a little bit of work. So, yeah. so, so the, the the other footnotey thing, right, is like I think, um, and I think both Gartner and Forrester. I mean, I'm most familiar with their stuff. They, I think, they use footnotes well. I guess they call them in notes here, and and they really do use them effectively. Of like, here's a further reference on something, and you don't really see that. Well, it's sort of in here. Sometimes they use it to like have further detail and explanation, uh, which which is nice, and so. It is always important to go look at the footnotes in this stuff because there's often like little gems and stuff hidden there. And I thought to bring up footnotes because one example, one easy fix for the establishing momentum without being annoying about it is, and you see this every now and then, is to have basically like a multi-paragraph footnote that goes over survey data, right? You might jam it all in one paragraph, but you could have a good five or six sentences. Like right off, you know, footnote number one or two on the first paragraph is like, you know, uh, why read this? Kubernetes has achieved blah, 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 importance. Footnote. And then you go down and be like, recent surveys show this. And, and it, so it's a good way that you could uh, hide that down there without it getting distracted. I think, I mean, it is fair. Like the intent is great. I mean, I love the intent. But like even when they say, you know, they're kind of making their pitch there on uh, 14, I guess, uh, page 14 around – you know, engage with an analyst, but then they, you know, and then they start to jump into supplemental material. But like, then, you know, again, they, they cut off half the companies, you go to the next page, there's like three arbitrary companies that are somehow on the next page and then starts the end yeah, note. Yeah. It's like, and this is just what frustrates me. Like given that these reports, they are not cheap. This is not like something that um, is written and just thrown out there. It's, oh yeah. It's, it's, Let me go look go up how much this one costs. As Yeah. As while you're doing that, talking. I'll just continue on with my, <laughs> my little, Around here, it's like guys. I mean, if anyone has read this thing, you know, front to back, would see that, like, yeah, this is it's not very, you know, you could make it a lot more consumable. And as someone that is part of my job is to read a lot of these things, it's it's just you know, take a little extra effort. And given how much money that is being paid, I would I would feel differently if you know this is the thing that you made the intern write in 25 minutes and he didn't you know get all the the formatting right but um as you're going to tell us here i i have no doubt this is a yeah. multi-thousand dollar paper well you got you got your your msrp your pdf exporter recommended price is 499 dollars. i think that's the lowest oh, tier okay. of, of a wow. Forrester pdf now now like any wow, msrp like any MSRP, I don't think anyone ever pays that price. You get it. Yeah, got to go with the subscription. subscription. It's but, always a subscription. But it, but it does to, to the point you were making. It does give you a sense of of how this is valued by Forrester, right? Like, I mean, there's other. I I haven't. I'm not familiar with individual one-off prices, but there's other things that you'll go look up the price, and it's like you know two thousand dollars. Like, I'm sure the IDC Black Book is multiple thousands of dollars, right? And the, the Black Book being the um. It doesn't give you fashion advice, but it's like the global, every single category of IT and telco consumer and enterprise, what their market forecast is, and you get a gigantic pivot table and everything. So that actually is an extremely valuable uh, chunk of data. But uh, yeah, $499, not 500 No one would confuse that with $500. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so so then going back to the main content and then and then... We're, we're, we can wrap up more or less, but uh, it is. So let's let's go back to uh, 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 figure three that lists all the, the vendors. So one, this is a good example of like, uh, there's a lot of vendors who are probably displeased with this because, you know, one, <laughs> uh, I, I guess, you know, we have an oncoming sponsorship with Datadog on the main podcast. So we've got some potential bias there if you just want to uh, stop listening now and delete this podcast because we're trying to program your mind. If, if you, you know, you go, you can go work on a new tinfoil hat, uh, plenty of time for that. But anyways, so the only monitoring company on here is like Datadog, right? And, and I'm sure there are many other companies who are like, we do monitoring of containers who are like, what the fuck? Uh, and so it is a little, you know, and, and, and I bet, well, maybe not, I bet, but this, this is an interesting tactic as a vendor you have to be wary of is it's very tempting when you're doing your slides to take take a screenshot of this and add your logo to it and like that just don't do that 
That's a bad idea. Now, maybe if you did a little animation and your logo kind of like bounced up there and was like rejected, that would be fun. But like you don't want to try to like make up that uh, that you're on there. And it's kind of even shows a weakness to it. You got to put that in your, your talk track. And then and then to your point, well, this isn't so much the case. Like you, there's a table display of it. Which kind of has the uh, it's a it's a very nicely rendered spreadsheet that has all the uh, sort of yes and no categories that you have, of I I think the platform people like it's it's yeah. a little weird. Uh, but you well, go this is there. where I think you see a real distinction between Forrester and Gardner. Like I I would you know guess it knows wrapping up here. I kind of say the middle like this paper really should probably be four pages, and I think the middle four there are actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. I think this table though, I mean this really feels like they mailed it in like. One, just the fact that they're using like representative players as a column heading. Mm. It's like, no, this is your job. I mean, I honestly, this really is like you need to list all players that are relevant in this category, right? That is what people are looking for uh, out of something like this. If you're going to do it, right? If you're going to do it, you need to do it. And, um, you know, in this case, Gardner, I think, is where I think their content is their middle content in Gardner is, is just not as compelling. They do a much better job on kind of these short profiles of the vendors yeah. and, you know, they put in the links and it's like, Hey, you know, if you're going to do it, do it right. And, you know, this, I mean, it's pretty shoddy, honestly, the table isn't really well formatted. I mean, this looks like it's like a straight, I mean, just the most generic straight cut and paste from yeah. Excel or word table that you can make. And it's just, it's even hard. Like, you know, I had to re really look at it two or three times yeah, to even understand how it was categorized, and and so, and then of course they go to the figure five. They start to, you know, kind of add these other column headings, and and it's just, and with category management, they start repeating it. It's just, I, I don't know. This is a this table I would say is, is borderline useless. Yeah. Uh, without yeah. no, you're you're right. That that could be cleaned up better to have have. I don't know if it's probably because of the different categories. You need like more than one table, but. It sh- it should be explained. I don't know. It's maybe it's the thing where like you just don't do it, <laughs> right? right? Like, well, you like, can see when it's really clear when you compare to the Gardner one, who yeah. they just basically said like, hey, it's not really something we can put in a table. We're gonna do a short write up of each one, and they what they do is they write these up and they send it to the vendor. The vendor like you know suggests changes, makes complaints or whatever. Um, but you know, it's, it, it's an attempt to like really give the reader the best amount. It's like, okay, yeah. we're not going to put everybody in one category and say, it's like, we're going to try to give you a description verified by the vendor. And then we're going to, you know, in their case, they just call out the use cases. Like, okay, here are the key things that you want because it's so much changing so much, right. That like, in this case, text wins over table. And I think the Forrester paper really does a disservice to this. Yeah. Yeah. No. So you compare as, you know, to, to call it out, you compare it to the, the Gartner paper and, Seemingly ironically, based on what you're saying, the Gardner paper is much less comprehensive. It only has uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine vendors mentioned. But the way they wangle, the way they figured out the content is like, we're going to show less vendors, but we're going to tell you more about each vendor. So they do their, I don't know, they must have some lingo for this inside Gardner, but they have their one paragraph description with advice at the end of it. Here they have use cases like, I'm sure, I'm sure you've looked at many of these, Brandon, the, uh, the hot vendor reports. Is that, is that right. what they call them? Which which are just man cool vendors. They're, yeah, it's the, cool uh, the vendors. Partners, the cool vendors in the magic quadrant. And so you know, in this case, the reason this matters a lot though to the vendors is everyone is that there is no logo slide uh, kind of in the Gardner report, right? Yeah. That's safe for magic quadrants and cool vendor reports. Now, of course, like vendors are going to work really hard to get into them here. So the fact that they went ahead and chose to highlight some and not others is fine. Like no one's going to be that mad. It's like, okay, you got to write up, right? It's like, it isn't going to be a slide that is shown a million different ways and it's going to really upset the vendors. Now the magic quadrant, whole different category, right? Yes, everyone will be upset about that one. Whereas Forster really is just you know, they're kind of like trying to do everything here and then they're doing nothing. They're just, it's, they're making a logo slide and then they have all these different categories mm. and you're like, this information is going to be cut and pasted. It's not going to be, it's going to be out of context. It's not going to be relevant. So um, yeah, that's why I'm just yeah. really down on this table. That's why I would just cut this whole table, right? Definitely. Get rid of this whole table, you know, um, get rid of a lot of this 
marketing stuff. And that, that middle four pages is real good. It's a good explainer. So if I was, you know, for our listeners, I would read the, the four, middle four pages of the Forrester Report. And then I would, you know, if you have the Gardner subscription, then go read the descriptions yeah. of the actual companies in Gardner. And that's going to give you a, a nice uh, explainer understanding of this category of technology. Yeah. And I, I think that's, that's, a good, that's a good review of the Forrester thing is like if you take the tables out, pretty much all the other content is, is good. It's it's useful, right? Like after the tables, there there is some discussion of like the open source community and other things, and then and then you got to have your advice at the end. They neatly fit it almost on one page, which which is which which is fine. I mean, I, and and I like the advice. It's basically like, yeah, you should look into this, sort it out. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah I don't know. I mean, that's the thing. Like, you could probably just make that up if yeah, if you yeah. really feel like you need it. Because you're, it's just like okay, yeah, and and and, and like short. like I think I think I think the tone of the Gartner stuff is a lot more prescriptive and like do this thing, and that is that is how I would juice up the 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 last page of the, the recommendations of the Forrester thing. Like I kind of alluded to it is like you should expect it to take this long, right? Like I feel like. I mean, I don't know. I don't always do this, but I would like it if I would do this. Is like I've told you about a new technology that's going to be very important for your enterprise. Now, let me give you sort of like the color and you know, choose your own. Uh, what am I? What's the metaphor I'm looking for, Brandon? The Mad Libs, the uh, the the color by number presentation that goes right. over how long is this going to take? How much staffing right. do you need? What budget should you be thinking about? What strategic considerations do you need to make? Right and I don't know if there's so that doesn't really pop up so much uh, in, in the Forrester one as as much as it could be. I mean, it even has maybe this is not a good write up. I'm always a little too optimistic, but it says get buy in from business decision makers, invite stakeholders from different parties to form a SWAT team for K8S innovation and employ them with the necessary knowledge and skills through training and workshops. <laughs> now, now, you know. Workshops is kind of novel in that statement, right? The idea that you're going to have hands-on things makes sense, but like that's basically like advice for every single technology you're introducing. Yeah, and this is where I think we can get. This is where I think you just got to be proficient at reading this stuff. It's like yeah, get yeah. what you need out of it. Like totally. I was, uh, I was listening to some some people that read books a lot, and I I, I tend to see, tend to be the kind of person that if I start one, I feel bad about finishing it, but they're like. People who read a lot aren't like that. They're like, no, as soon as they decide this book isn't helping them or isn't good, they just like put it down, right? Yeah. And I think that's the same thing with these papers. It's like quickly get to the sections you need and don't be afraid to just throw out the other stuff, yep, right? Yep. And, just, and just move on. So like I said, four pages of Forrester, three pages of Gardner, done. You know, you saved yourself probably 15 pages of stuff you don't need to read. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, we'll, we'll wrap up here. I just want to note one more thing that uh... – that is here more, I guess it's more there than here, but there's a curious trend that's been going on in cloud that like the Chinese are all over this shit. <laughs> and, and, and you see that I, I don't think the Gartner people really address this at all, but it's interesting that Forrester addresses it. Now, I don't, I don't want to burn time on the metal layer of it. Just, just the straight factual thing of like, man, China's up to some shit in cloud. <laughs> right. And, and, and I think, I think it's largely due to, um, language and maybe like latent Yankee political bias that this seems so interesting, right? I mean, you know, I, to be all Thomas Friedman, I was in Beijing for four days, uh, five days last week and boy was my hotel room <laughs> awesome, right? Uh, <laughs> but, but it is like, it's a big fucking country and they got shit, right? And so it shouldn't be that shocking that they have their whole, uh, uh, alternate universe, or maybe we're the alternate universe to China, but they have their whole other set of vendors and everything going on. And you really do see that here. And if you followed like OpenStack and other cloud stuff, um, I think, I think it kind of did start with OpenStack where like all of a sudden China was like, I got this. Y you American yeah. vendors have fun in your market. <laughs> right. Yeah. And well, this isn't, I was going to say, it's not even, a, it's not so much even about the paper. It's just the fact that, you know, in the geographic, coverage of the table that we've been you know obviously not very happy with you know what's really telling is that they they use this nomenclature of global right global which you know most usually means like the entire world but what they actually have is a category of just global and then they have the category global plus china and then they have care category of just china and you know i think that's just a sign and you know i you know i think we we both have a little history which 
well, I was about to say it with China, but that doesn't make any sense. I just said like we we understand <laughs> that like you know selling and doing business and and working with China is definitely different. Yeah. So what it really calls out is almost like there's just a lot more to be written about this. Like China is just the way they're you know saying it. It's kind of separate from the globe, you know, everywhere else. But it's really important and it's really different. But consuming what that really means is. I think everyone's starting is still working that out. I mean, oh, right. I mean, all the vendors as well as all the analysts is because it is. It, it's one of the rare things that involves technology, uh, you know, uh, political differences and just like um, customs differences, like the way people do things. And it's just very complicated, for, I think, to understand it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can you can buy uh, grilled cicada larva over there to eat if you want, which you could probably do that over here in the U S somewhere, but it's not like, uh, not ubiquitous then. And, and, uh, I forgot to speak to this on our software defined talk episode this week. Now, you know, I, I will eat pretty much anything to figure out what it is. And let me just tell you, you can skip eating the grilled cicada larva. It's not really, there's no, uh, there's no benefit to your overall life experience like that, it. Uh, that you're going to get, get you know, now. all right. You know, if some, if you have never eaten, either cow or goat testicles, you should do that, right? Just, like, figure that out. Like, it's it's not going to taste good or whatever, but you need to have that experience in your, your Excel spreadsheet of life. But I feel like cicada larva, you can give that a pass. You'll be fine. Like it. Yeah. So, like uh, it. as always, this has been the Software Defined Talk Members Only Podcast White Paper Exegesis Podcast. I think we got to work on that name. Too many podcasts in there. But, uh, you know, normally, if this wasn't free... If you became, if you become a software defined talk patron over there on Patreon, you can sign up for as little as a dollar a month. I saw we had two Patreons. We've got like 28 or 30 now who signed up for $5 a month, which that's fantastic. We got people expressing how much they like not only uh, this little show here, but the normal software defined talk one. But if you're interested, you, you enjoyed this podcast and you've listened this far, you just sign up for like a dollar a month and there's a whole little private RSS feed you can go to. And, more or less every week. I guess we've done every week so far. No, no, we didn't do last week. But you know, we'll we'll do one more or less every week. Where uh, we'll hopefully we'll get Matt Ray on here finally at some point. But uh, we'll just give an in depth, close reading of of a bunch of papers. Uh, sometimes you'll be able to read them. Other times, like this one, unless you uh, have ponied up, you won't be able to read it. So uh, you can always go to our regular podcast, Software Defined Talk at softwaredefinedtalk.com. We uh, there's really no reason to cross advertise on this podcast, but you know we spend a lot of time talking about uh, pivotal container service and VMworld stuff. Very similar topics, more topical stuff like that. And uh, if you like this, it's good to recommend it to other people. Tell them that they should uh, have a listen. You could even feel free to share it if you want. And uh, for each of these episodes, we write up some. Well, let me rephrase that. I write up some very detailed uh, sort of show notes ahead of time. So there's a little bit more content in there if uh, you want to dig into text. And with that, I'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. I have, a, I have, a, I have like a, an ache in my back and then, and then over on my front. I think it's because I slept wrong. But if I go silent, it means I've had a heart attack or something. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Although I feel like I didn't eat too much butter this morning. So I should be fine. Should be fine. All right.